Jesus, thank you so much for this community and thank you for this um, opportunity to come together to study your word, to hear about um, life and hope and obedience in you. And Jesus, we ask right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd be drawn closer to you and closer to your way in this world, that more of your kingdom will come here crashing in on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for all of this and ask that this time would, would be to your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are nearing the conclusion of Deuteronomy, and not just the conclusion of Deuteronomy, but the conclusion of the Torah. We've been studying for the last seven years of Spark from Genesis. It's not only taking us seven years. Um, we stopped for a couple other, you know, little detours, Jesus, Christmas, you know, Easter, all those other kinds of things. But we are right near the end of our deep study in the Torah. And it's exciting and wonderful and incredible. And here we are at the end. Um, And Moses is going to lead us with this charge of choose life. And that's the title of our sermon this evening, Choose Life. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 26. And there's actually quite a bit of text that I'm not going to read all of you tonight in the interest of time, though much of it is incredibly fascinating. Um, So my skipping over a few verses is not to suggest that they aren't important or shouldn't be addressed, but just in the interest of time this evening. So feel free to go and read these next uh, three, four chapters we're going to be focusing on. And this is also dovetailing on Pastor Kevin's message from a few weeks ago before we did our break the last two weeks on um, issues of uh, border detention of children and the issues facing our DACA neighbors. Um, we wanted to, prior to that, Kevin kind of talked on how we work on commands and what that means and how all this works in our life. So feel free to pick that message up as we move into this one. Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 16. This is the end of chapter 26. This very day, the Lord your God is commanding you to observe these statutes and ordinances. So observe them diligently with all your heart and with all your soul. I just want to stop right there. That framing all your heart and all your soul, what does that remind you of? The Shema, the number one commandment, Jesus, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with everything. So Moses is grabbing that echo right there and making sure you kind of hear um, the commands continuing echoing through, that central command that sort of encapsulates everything. Today you have obtained the Lord's agreement to be your God and for you to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, and to obey him. Today the Lord has obtained your agreement to be his treasured people as he promised you and to keep his commandments for him to set you high above all nations that he has made in praise and in fame and in honor and for you to be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Now what's happening here? Isn't it true that Israel already agreed to this covenant at Mount Sinai? Yes. The answer is yes. This covenant was made at the base of Mount Sinai 40, 50 days after Israel, 50 days exactly, after Israel had exited Egypt with the Passover, crossed through the Red Sea, wandered in the wilderness for just a short bit, followed God into and got to the base of Mount Sinai. Moses went up on the mountain, comes back down, and gives them those commandments that we hear Um, The Ten Commandments, all of that. And we talked about that when we got to the book of Exodus. So why are we doing this again? And why is Moses using framing like this very day? Today you've obtained the Lord's agreement. Today the Lord has obtained your agreement. Like now this is happening. It's because this is a full covenant renewal in Moab. 
Moab is the location that's directly across from the Jordan River Valley. Moses and the Israelites have completed their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and they are getting ready to enter into the land. But Moses, as you'll recall, does not get to go with them because he had this bad temper moment. And so he's looking into the land, and he is renewing the covenant with all of Israel while standing in Moab. And the way that you look at all these covenants, and it's also included earlier in chapter 26, that from now on, whenever we go before the Lord, we're to say, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation and powerful and numerous. And it continues on that we're to remember Abraham and call him my father. Isaiah gives this echo too. Consider Abraham your father and Sarah who gave birth to you. We're supposed to speak in the present tense, even though this generation that is there was a generation born in the wilderness not a generation that was standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. They are to consider that the covenant in its renewal is exactly as it was the 40 years ago when all of this started. So the covenant is being renewed in Moab. And then Moses is going to continue on in Deuteronomy 27. I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit to verse 4. So when you've crossed over the Jordan, Moses is saying, you shall set up these stones about which I am commanding you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall cover them with plaster, and you shall build an altar there to the Lord your God, an altar of stones on which you've not used an iron tool. You must build the altar of the Lord your God of unhewn stones, and then offer up burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Make sacrifices of well-being and eat them there, rejoicing before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of the law very clearly." Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all of Israel, saying, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This very day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, obey the Lord your God, observing his commandments and his statutes that I'm commanding you today. So Moses is telling them that when they enter in the land, they have to do it again. So you're going to covenant with God and have this covenant renewal ceremony. Like you're going to renew your vows right now here in Moab. And then you're going to cross over the Jordan. And when you cross over the Jordan, do it again. Set up stones again. Write everything down again. Do it again. And in this moment, just a couple of interesting notes. Unhewn stones. Don't use an iron tool. Scholars debate, why was that part of the command? And I think part of it is that iron was perceived as a weapon something that was used to take life, not give it. So a lot of people didn't want iron used or a metal tool used in something, an altar created for the Lord God. The other idea is that the stones should be carved by the finger of God, God's self, right? Like not by human hands. It should be stones that God created, God formed. That's just, I just think that's interesting because I'm kind of weird like that. So I, I like that kind of stuff. Um, I love this too, you guys, this phrasing. This very day, Moses is talking about, you have become the people of the Lord your God. And that framing you have become is used in marriage language. And if you'll recall, when we talked about the Sinaitic covenant back in Exodus 19 and 20 and on, we talked about how it was a marriage covenant. It's sort of like an I do, do you, are we in this thing together? And this betrothal language that's in the Hebrew right there, you have become to me, you have come to me, is the same kind of language that's used like husband and wife or familial relations. And God puts this language right in there. Moses continues on then in verse 11. 
11. The same day Moses charged the people as follows. When you've crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim for the blessing of the people. So here's the tribes that are going to be on Mount Gerizim. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And then these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Right, that's not like the short straw, right? You don't want that one. But Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And then the Levites shall declare in a loud voice to all the Israelites. We're going to talk about what they're going to do in just a minute. But let's look at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Okay, Mount Gerizim is to the south, so like closer towards Jerusalem. And this is looking towards the west. So as if you're standing here, you're looking across this valley to Shechem the town right there in the middle, and then Mount Ebal on the north, all right? Now, this is an interesting location that Moses has them crossing into the land. Why this hill? Why not another hill? Why not Jericho? Why not Jerusalem? How come, where are they going, and what's important about this location? Well, for those of you great historical geography Bible scholars, we've got bonus points for you. All right, Mount Ebal is the highest mountain in this vicinity at this crossing. So by standing up there, they probably get a very pretty clear view of the entire land that God is giving them, at least, you know, in the general last directions and distance. Shechem is deeply important. It's the site of Abraham's first stop in Canaan as Abraham is coming down and following a God he cannot see. It's the first place in Canaan where God speaks to Abraham in the Lord, asked the Lord, and identified as the Lord as the one he would give to Abraham the land that Abraham would receive as descendants. Abraham first built an altar to God there. So as, as the Israelites move in, they're sort of standing again in the steps of their father Abraham, doing something Abraham did. Jacob first bought a plot there within the promised land, and Joseph's bones were buried thereupon, were coming back out of Egypt. So this location is important, and it holds a lot of memory. Land holds memory, right? If you and I go to downtown New York and we go towards the 9-11 memorial, even if you don't read a single thing, you have memories of what occurred there, right? Where you were when you heard the news and those sorts of things. Land carries memory, and it does too for the Israelites. So as they go in then for this covenant renewal ceremony, we're trying to understand what is happening here. And God is essentially saying, you've been wandering and you've been living this one way, but now we're going to walk into the land and it's going to inaugurate an entire new way of living in the land. We're going to have different challenges in the land than we had in the wilderness. And in this covenant renewal ceremony coming up then in Deuteronomy, we are going to get a dramatic explanation that Israel's survival is based on their obedience to God. And so, again, we have instructions for how to renew the covenant in the land, again, after they've crossed through. Can you imagine your kids, by the way? I can't imagine, like, my kid being like, didn't we just hear this? Didn't Moses just, I mean, really, how many times do we have to, and nope, we're doing it again. Okay, so they're going to stand. Blessings are going to be shouted on Mount Gerizim, and the curses are on Mount Ebal. Shechem is in the middle. It's kind of sort of a natural amphitheater in the space. I've stood only on the Mount of Blessings. I just want to let you know. I refused. No, it just was not available to us that day, but we did not stand on the Mount of Ebal. Um, But let's look at these really quickly. And I didn't want to, there's so much text. We're just going to do a a bit, okay? The Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice, and imagine yourself standing there and hearing this. You can all stand on the blessing side too, but somebody's shouting at us from the cursing side, okay? The Levites. Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. 
Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or mother. And all the parents say, amen. I'm just saying, it's all the people say, amen. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. And all the people shall say, amen. This isn't really important. You're like, boundary stone, really? No, you're going to go into a land. And for the very first time, you're going to be given an allotment. You're going to be given something that you're responsible for. You're going to be given a plot of land. You're not going to be wandering anymore in the wilderness, just picking up your tent and put it down wherever you want it to go. You will now have boundary stones. And I think, I think it says in the Psalms, right? It says, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. That when we talk about, remember the prayer of Jabez that got really like big stuff, I don't know, 20 years ago in Christianity. I was like, I want to enlarge my territory. And that's a prayer of Jabez. Jabez isn't asking for more wealth. It's not prosperity gospel at all. Jabez is saying, my boundary markers have been given to me, and this is what I'm responsible for in God's kingdom, and I am happy to be responsible for more, to steward, steward more for the goodness. But you don't move it. You, don't, you and I, we don't get the option to say, I get more of God's blessings or less of God's blessings. My neighbor gets less or I get less to take care of. We are not going to move our neighbor's boundary stone when we get into the land. This is really important. Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. And all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow. And all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. And all the people shall say, sure, that sounds amen, right? Cursed is the man... Who has sexual relations with an animal? All people are like, amen. Uh, cursed is the man who sleeps with his sister or daughter, with his father or daughter's mother, and all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his mother in law. All people say, that's never gonna happen. Uh, amen. Cursed is the man who kills his neighbor secretly. I don't know what it means to do it publicly, but all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the man who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person, and all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out, and all the people shall say, amen. Moses continues on then, right? He's going to continue on and talk about blessings and curses. So here comes the blessing part. This is the part we're much more interested in, right? We're not really interested in that curse. Um, Although we probably, all of us would agree with all of those things. I would like to live in a land where we don't, you know, steal land from other people. We don't accept bribes and we don't cause the blind to stumble. I'll take all of that. Um, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all the commandments, This is in chapter 8. I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth, and all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out, and the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you and will come at you from one direction, but flee from you for seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything, and it proceeds. That the land that God is giving us will be a blessing to us and will be blessed if we continue to uphold the terms of the covenant. So Moses is going to proceed on. If you don't obey, though, horrible things will happen. Now, these horrible things that are being meted out, and this is what Moses said we're going to do when we get to the land. We're going to renew this covenant with these words. If you don't obey, the curses, Moses says, will come upon you and will overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. 
Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, it will be cursed when you come out and when you go out, when you come in and go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, rebuke, and everything. And then, you guys, it gets really dark. I'm just telling you, I don't think any of you used any of these verses at your marriage ceremony. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds of the earth and the beasts of the earth. And the Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and festering thorns and the itch from which you cannot be cured. Gosh, that sounds awful, right? I do not want the itch from which I cannot be cured. Uh, the Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind at midday. At midday, you will grope about like a blind man in the dark, and you will be unsuccessful in everything you do. That's just rough. <laughs> day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. It gets worse, you guys. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation, and you will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. The sights you see will drive you mad. It continues on. I mean, I don't want to, I don't even want to read some of these. And when I start to read them, I think to myself, gosh, this sounds pretty punitive, right? I mean, there's a lot more, I just have to, there's a lot more cursings and blessings in this little passage here. And it sounds a little rough. But Moses's point here is quite clear. Israel, you have already agreed to the covenant. You already said, I do. You did that long ago. But the blessings, the obedience to the covenant will get you blessings and will lead to life and disobedience to the covenant. Your idea that even though you've said yes to God and that you will obey, the disobedience will lead to death. And Moses just wants to dramatically lay all of that out. And I would argue too, whether you want to uh, believe that Moses, these are the exact words Moses put forth or that the Deuteronomy author um, expanded on some of these words following exile and return. Like, how does Israel live in the land now that they've, how do they understand the exile? Much of what's described, whether it's prophetic looking forward or prophetic explaining the times at the moment, these things did happen to Israel when they did not obey and when they were exiled either to Assyria in the north or to Babylon in the east. And a lot of what is described is described It's the conditions that happen when an enemy comes and lays siege to Jerusalem, right? You starve. The sky grows dark. You you see your your sons and daughters taken off in war. These things will happen. And how are we going to understand them? And what is it that we do? So so Moses is trying to explain this to us. I think it's very easy for us as Christians and as followers of Jesus. And I grew up in a setting where it's sort of like, well, here's the best way to explain this. That's the God of the Old Testament. But then Jesus came and now all of that is done. And I think that that uh, first is wrong. I don't think that the Bible teaches that. Also, I think it leads us to uh, polytheism at best where we're worshiping a different God or that we're worshiping a God that can change God's mind and character at any time and forget God's promises. And uh, then why wouldn't he do that to you and me? So I would rather start to try to understand how this felt in its original context. So Kevin pointed out when he talked with you guys that much of this blessings and curses sort of formula is part of a suzerain treaty. This is expected. This is how other ancient Near Eastern treaties worked at the time. 
And so we should expect to find blessings and curses and what works for obedience and what works for disobedience, what to expect. I think Jesus has some of these echoes too, right? When he sits on a mount, he says, here are the people who are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus has blessings. And we go, see, Jesus is so much better. So the blessing. No, he also has some significant woes. In Matthew 23 and in other places, for people, particularly religious leaders, who are hypocritical and not caring for those marginalized and on the outside. Woe to you. You are like a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but there's just death inside of you. You know, Jesus also said things like this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. John chapter 14. This is, if you love me, and this is the word, the word love, God will use 23 times, I think, in the book of Deuteronomy. I love you. I love you. Will you love me? It's the central command. Hear, O Israel, Lord is your God, Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Uh, you, you weren't great. You weren't numerous. God says, I looked, I loved you. In love, I chose you. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. So as Moses then continues on in Deuteronomy 30, he's going to talk about what happens when everything's gone to heck in a handbasket. When all these things have happened to you, the blessings and the curses that I've set before you, if you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God and you and your children obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, and you can hear the Shema again there, the central commandment, Jesus says, number one commandment, just as I'm commanding you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, gathering you again from all the peoples among whom the Lord your God has scattered you. This is great hope, isn't it? When you've done all the terrible things that you're going to do and you start to look towards God and you want to return. And the word there in Hebrew is tshuva. It is an idea that you are going one direction and you stop and you turn around and you repent. You stop from what you're doing, turn around and start going the other way. So when you, Israel, who you've been going in this way, pursuing death, and you found yourself exiled, and you found yourself experiencing all of the consequences of your disobedience, when you stop and you turn, I'll be waiting. And I will gather you back, and I will bring you back home again. Even if you are exiled to the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land that your ancestors possessed, and you will possess it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Surely this commandment that I'm commanding you today is not too hard for you, Moses says, nor is it too far away. It is not up in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you will say, you should say, who will cross the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so we may hear it and observe it. No, the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It says literally in the Hebrew, the word is in your mouth and it's in your heart for you to observe. It's in your mouth. 
It's in your heart. The word for like in your heart, it's like the same word that is used in the Bible phrasing for it's you've memorized it. It's in you. You know it by heart. The word is not far and this is not difficult, right? Don't harm the blind. Check. Don't sleep with your mother-in-law. Got it. Right? It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not confusing. It's clear. So Moses continues. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And really in the Hebrew, it's life and good and death and evil. Raw. Bad. Almost like the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, right? I have set you before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I'm commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, observing his commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. Like you've broken the covenant now. You've cheated on your husband. You don't get to continue to act as though you're married. The covenant's been broken, God says. You shall not live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. So loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life. Choose life. Moses is begging, choose life. Don't choose death. Choose life. And in choosing the life, in the life, and in choosing it, you get more life. Choose life. It's a very clear image, right? If I said to you, which picture here has life? Say, well, maybe that can come back, but right now it looks dead, right? We can see it. Moses is saying it's that clear. Choose life. I think Jesus uses similar framing like this, right? In John chapter 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have life abundantly, big life, right? That we have a choice for that. But as we've just read in the gospel of John, John will also say, but if you love me, you obey. You obey my commands. I think a lot of us think that the, or maybe we grew up thinking that our relationship with God was a one-time moment. We went, I walked down, I accepted Jesus into my heart. It happened on May 23rd in, you know, 1984 or whatever it was, and, or last week, or I haven't done yet. And I sat there, and that was the moment I chose life. And I want to say, yes, you did at that moment have a life-affirming decision where you chose Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But what did you do on May 24th? I'm not talking about getting into heaven. I'm not talking about salvation. I believe all of that is secure. I'm talking about, at least for me in my life, this thing with Jesus, Jesus seems to tell me that it's a daily choosing. That I must, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
that when I choose life, it is something I have to choose every single day and every moment of every day because in choosing life, it gets more life. And this is not about whether or not I get saved. Jesus has already rescued me. He's already saved me. I don't do anything to earn it. That's a free gift. This is about my response to being rescued and redeemed. Just like Israel. Israel's not presently enslaved in Egypt when Moses gives them this call or when God does it in Mount Sinai. In Exodus, he, God's not saying, well, Israel, I'll get you out of your slavery and your oppression and all the mess and I'll redeem you, but only if you do these things. No. God rescues and redeems and sets us free and then says, I love you. Do you love me too? And how are we going to live together? What's the expectation of this relationship, right? It's similar to those of us who've entered into a marital covenant, right? One spouse says to the other, I do and I do. And if somebody breaks that, there's harm and hurt and things die. Trust dies, hope dies, love dies, connection dies, right? But when we continue to affirm that covenant by our obedience to it on a daily moment-by-moment basis, we get to affirm love. We get to affirm all these things. I think Jesus does it through a multitude of ways. He teaches different things like this. I think when he says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. You know, so great, good, good on you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the reward my father has for you. But when I was hungry and you didn't feed me, which is a clear, clear command to obey, right? and you didn't give me something to drink, and you didn't clothe me, depart from me, I never knew you. And we go to the place of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. That sounds like blessing and curses, right? That sounds like life and death. That to obey God, to choose God's commandments over and over again is life-affirming. To care for the blind, to care for the widow, to care for the stranger, to care for the widow and the orphan. These things are commands of God, and they bring more life as we do them. And to not do them, we see more death. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death, Jesus says in John 8. So I've been reflecting on the last two weeks we've had as a Spark community, and I've been thinking about Warren Binford event and Ryan Eller event and the things that are going on regarding those most marginalized and most vulnerable um, in our world at large. And I've been thinking about, too, like how when we do events like we did the last two weeks, uh, in conjunction, too, with Eitz Chaim and this beautiful uh, Jewish congregations here that joined with us, that there's something about that that's very difficult I don't know, it, it, it's beautiful and wonderful, but driving our hearts to the attention and our attention to those issues, driving our hearts and attention to those issues is hard, isn't it? Wasn't it hard to sit here and listen to Warren describe the conditions that are in place for the children at the border? And, I, and this is, as Kevin said, no shame, no blame here. Some of us couldn't do it, and that's okay. Some of us could not sit in the space and hear it. Some of us tried and left and said, some of us didn't come. We said, it's too hard. Or what a downer on a Sunday night. I'm starting my week. I don't want to hear about what's happening at the border with those kids. It's hard work to do those things. 
And, and yet, I think that when we don't participate in them, when we don't turn our attention to those people most vulnerable for whom God is commanding us to care for, it's very clear in our text, isn't it? That we then are on the side of death. We continue then in those very small and big decisions to continue to just say, well, death is here and death will stay. And I'm not pushing on the life part anymore. It's hard to be in those places. I wanted to just stop and say thank you. I wanted to thank you guys for allowing us the last couple of weeks to do our values. Not just talk about them, but to do them, to live them, to try to obey to try to inspire ourselves and others around us to live the way of Jesus. I'm thankful that we're in a community that held that space and that tension the last couple of weeks. I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy to not have church as you are accustomed to it, right? I think there was part of me a few different times was like, okay, Junior, just let go. Let's have like a big, like break every chains. Let's got some gospel music going on. Like I need something to put in. And yet we needed to hold respectful space so that everybody who was willing to come in here could come. I know it's hard, but you guys are amazing. You allowed me, as a pastor at this church who feels deeply convicted to welcome the stranger, to welcome those most vulnerable, to, to acknowledge that at Jesus's table, it is not my table, it is not my body, it is not my blood, it is all his, and he has invited everyone. You allowed us to build a bigger table the last couple weeks and to try to figure out ways to get everyone who wants to come to come. And I want to thank you for that. I don't think that's easy, and I just wanted you to know I don't take it for granted that you're the kind of congregation that holds that space. Now, those are big ways, right, where we try to do those obeying God things. Big, giant, huge, like, that's it. I'm going to demand that we care for the most vulnerable amongst us. I think that there's small ways, too, where we start to lose our way, not just in the big ways. For me, I think there's issues of money or power or control or likes or fames or followers or possessions. Or maybe we numb ourselves through addiction. Or maybe we... Uh, love belittling, belittling others at work in order to make ourselves feel more important. And in all those ways, we continue to choose again and again and again, very little ways, death rather than life. And it happens before we know it. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, I can't believe I just did that. Like, I'm not in that much of a hurry. Why did I have to drive around that person so fast and so rudely and kind of give him the worst look, if that was the worst that you did, praise the Lord, right? And, um, and give him that look. And why did I lose my way so quick? Or why did I hear that somebody was suffering and just decide, you know what, I'm just going to watch six more seasons of The Office. Now, I'm not arguing that that isn't, I, I'm, I know that that's a solution because I have employed it. Um, I'm not arguing that you shouldn't have moments in time to do this. As we said, no shame, no blame. But I also want to acknowledge that those moments sometimes lead to the next and the next and the next where I can't deal with what's in front of me. Instead, I just continue to try to numb myself out. Um, my daughter the other day said to me, Mom, I know we don't do blame and shame in our family, but the only way to really explain this is that it's kind of your fault. <laughs> and uh, I was like hilarious and thank you very much yeah thanks like, i don't mean to be mean you know but this is all you <laughs> um 
So I think we also need to own our responsibility that in the big moments and the little moments, we have a place and a role to play and how much life we want to embrace and how much life we want to experience. For me, this came very clear years ago while I was sitting by the side of a road in Israel and I came upon um, a flock in this little green oasis and we were by the side of the road and there's like buses zooming by and I was really disappointed that this was the only flock we could find and I was kind of sad that um, we weren't getting more of a, you know, like biblical times kind of flock. We had like, zing, like the, you know, right above the guardrail. We cross over the guardrail and we're watching the shepherd. And as he sees all these crazy tourists jump out of the bus and sit on the side of the road to watch him, he freaks out and he calls the sheep closer to him. And then he sees that we're not totally insane. And so then he kind of just chills out and lets the sheep um, go back out again. And then as we're sitting there, I'm still thinking the whole time how angry I am that this is my, I don't know if you can see the, the gas station in the background, right? Like that this is my shepherd experience. And then we start to see him sing and he starts to lead the sheep and they start to follow. And there's always sheep and goats. It's a mixed a mixed flock typically. So some are sheep, some are goats, and he's leading and singing. And I'm like, oh, actually, this is pretty cool. Like, this is a teen. And I bet David wrote his Psalms while he was just out kicking it with the flock, you know. And, and so I'm watching this and thinking, that's pretty beautiful. And as I'm watching, you know, reminder that he has just led the flock to beautiful green pastures, right? I mean, that's like steady on awesome. And they've eaten there and they've eaten well. And now as he's leading them down and further, I notice that this goat, that one, picks up a giant cement bag, like the paper bag that's filled with cement, and starts, I mean, huge, bigger than the goat, starts from one corner to just chomp it down until there's hardly any part of the bag left. I don't know if you can see, like, this is the only part of that bag that's left. He's eating paper goats can do this. Like the sheep tried to do it. He took the bag out of the sheep's mouth, but the goat, he's like, that's just, that's a goat. They just eat, right? They just eat junk. And as I was watching, I thought, oh no, I'm that goat. I'm that goat. God has led me beside green pastures. God has given me ways to find life. God has found green pastures for me. I was just there and I go find the garbage and think that will fill me up. And I feel like in these moments that in my own life, for a very long time, I put this as my screensaver on my computer and on my phone. So I'd like look and go, don't eat garbage, right? And try to like <laughs> not put on, you know, whatever. This was even before social media existed. I, I mean, just, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, and I'm that goat. And yet I want to acknowledge the fact that as difficult as all of this is, none of this is impossible. And I think that the way that we do choose life is we just start. We just start with one step. We start today and we just do it by doing the next right thing. And if in your movement, as you've chosen then, you've read Jesus's words and you thought, okay, Jesus, how am I going to find life today? And you've chosen the next right thing. And then if you make a detour and you choose death again for whatever moment, whether it's your whether we're being struck by addiction or conflict or pain or power or any of those things, what, then just, it's okay, just choose life again. Just go back. Remember God said, you just start to return. God will come and gather us no matter where and how far flung we are, no matter how distant we are from God, God will bring us back. And Jesus continues to invite us into this place of choosing life. 
Now we're going to invite our worship band up to lead us in a closing song. And as we do so, we have the elements of communion. The Lord's table is open to all. Jesus is waiting and inviting all of us. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Join us at the table of life. May we go forth in the way of Jesus, continuing to find more and more life in every step of obedience, empowered by the Holy Spirit, driven by God's mercy and grace, and confident in God's open arms to bring us back to return to him at any time. Amen.